Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for being here today, Capital City Church. Those that are live screaming, we thank you. We thank you. No turning back. No turning back, church. No turning back. Jesus over everything. No turning back. Jesus over everything. Philippians 1, 21. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. The more I grow in Christ, the more I seem to understand the thinking of Paul in this verse. The more I live on this earth for Christ, the more life gets sweeter and sweeter. There's no fear. There's no lack. There's unbelievable joy, unspeakable peace, peace that I sometimes don't even understand. Don't even understand. And like Paul, it turns into an ambition, an ambition to live for Christ, to live for and if the Lord say, well, Ron, it's time to come home, son. I'm going to bring you on home. Even though this life here on earth has been great, has been wonderful, I know that being in his presence will be even greater. Even greater, church. So even though Paul knew that to die would be a better experience than what he was already going through. He knew that he would have victory if he died because he died in Christ, in Christ. But he recognized that the work of the Lord within the earth was not complete. It was not complete. He knew that many people needed to know and many people needed to understand that to live, to live equals Christ, equals Christ. Just as living for Christ was Paul's ambition. Living for Christ should be every Christian's passion. It should be our very passion, church. His ambition was if he continued to live, he would live for glorifying Christ. And as Christians, if God continues to give us breath, we should use every bit of it to glorify the Lord. For Paul, the Christian life church was not a hobby. It was not a hobby. It was his very life. We can't let our Christian life just be a hobby, something we do on Sundays. No, it must be our very life, our very life, church. This should be the everyday Christian living, the everyday Christian living. But for some, 
But for some, for me to live is what? For you to live is what? Some would say for me to live is my husband, is my wife. I cherish the ground that they walk on. Some would say for me to live is my children. I will sacrifice any and everything for them. Some may even say, for me to live is my job. I love my work. I love my business. But why can't Christ be the center of our lives? Why can't we put Christ in his rightful place over everything? Over everything. Jesus over everything, church. Jesus over everything. The Bible tells us in Romans 4, 8, for if we live, we live for Christ. If we die, we die for Christ. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. There's no in-between. This message is not just for you. It's for us. It's for us. Myself, your neighbor. Because somehow, sometimes, we all lose sight of what really matters. And as born-again Christians, what really matters is us living for Jesus Christ. Living for Jesus Christ. Somehow we all have misused grace. I'll be the first to raise my hand. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth for a reason, for a purpose. He allowed me to see ways that I can stronger my relationship with the Lord. How I can spend more time dedicating to my studies. How I can spend more time in prayer and in meditation. Waiting to hear guidance from the Lord. So church, it is not just for us to know the first and greatest commandment. It is for us to live it out. To live it out, church. Matthew 22, 37, 38. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, church. This did not change. This did not change, and it never will change. It will stand to the ends of the earth. Through generation, through generation, church. This is a command to all people. To all people. If you want to live beyond this life, this is your commandment. This is your commandment. We're the ones who've changed from where we started in this journey. We are the ones who changed. This commandment never changed. Somehow our hearts has been corrupted. Our hearts has turned cold towards the Lord. It seems as if there's no reverent fear within the church for the Lord anymore. 
it seems as if the church doesn't love the Lord our God with our whole hearts anymore. So we question. We question. Do the church love the Lord with our whole souls, our whole beings? Because that's what it's going to take, church. And that's what we can see with our own eyes. Many people do not love the Lord our God with their whole minds. Because you see no change in their character. And you see no change in their actions, church. In their actions. We must live out this greatest commandment. We must live it out, church. Because this is what matters most. This is what matters most. That we love our God with all of our hearts. With all of our souls. And with all of our this is what matters most. Most. That's everything. That is everything. That is Jesus over everything. That is Jesus over everything. Luke 14, 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. And at this time, Jesus had multitudes of people following him. Multitudes of people following him. And he began to teach, telling them that if they wanted to follow him, they had to understand what his kingdom would be like. And they had to know what to expect as his followers. In Matthew 10, it says this. Jesus tells us this. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. But a sword. A sword of separation. Of separation from true believers in him and those that are not. That separation will split families right down the line. Those that believe and trust in Christ and those that don't. Those that put Christ before everything and those that don't. He came to bring a sword. A sword. Those that trust and believe in him will have that peace. But those closest to you that don't, it's called for a separation. Jesus calls for everything, church. Everything. So the people that follows him, they had to love him above everything. That's what he was telling them. You have to love me above everything else. They had to prepare themselves for self-sacrifice, self-denial, 
denying self for Christ, even if it meant death. Even if it meant death. So when Jesus says hate, he means love less than me. Love less than me. You must love your family less than me. If I am to be number one. He was telling them they must make sure they count the cost of being a true disciple. Count the cost of being a true Christian church. Willing to give up everything and everyone for his sake. For his sake. We cannot love anything or anyone above our love for Christ. We can't. We can't. Jesus over everything is real. It is real. But Jesus also makes room. He also makes room for everything and everybody in our lives, church. He does. Jesus is my number one. He is my number one. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my beautiful family. I love my siblings. I love all of my family, my beautiful in-laws, my church family. But Jesus is number one. And none of my relationships lack because I put Jesus first. If anything, they've gotten better. They have gotten better, church. When we put everything under Christ, under Christ, he makes room for it all. I have a full-time job that knows that I wouldn't put that before the work of the Lord. And I got bills. Lord knows I got bills. <laughs> but the Lord makes a way when you put him first. He makes a way, church. When we put him above all things, he makes room for the things you need in your life, for the people you need in your life. He makes room for your heart's desires, church. He makes room. And there will be no lack. And there will be no lack, church. No lack. That's Jesus over everything. It's okay to put Jesus over everything. It's all right. It's all right. Listen to this quote. If Jesus is anything, he must be everything. If Jesus is anything, he must be everything, church. And I know Jesus is something to every one of you in here. But you must make him everything. You must make him everything in your life. He won't let you down. He won't let you down. It speaks for itself. If Jesus is anything, he must be everything. 
So I want us to look at Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18, where Paul wanted to make clear to the church. Then, and as we read, make it clear to us now that Jesus is God and Lord over everything. Everything. Verse 1 says, the Son is the image, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul wrote to the Colossians to clarify the person of Jesus to them. And just as we read, that should clarify the person of Jesus to us. Everything has been made by, through, and for Jesus to this end. That he will have supreme authority in all things, church. All things. Meaning, Jesus is meant to have supremacy over every nation, over every government, over every cultural values, over every thought that you think, over every dream that we dream. And everything in between, everything else, Jesus has to have supreme authority over everything in our lives, church. Everything. This means that we obey him when it goes against our cultural values. It goes against our cultural values, we obey him. It means that we choose him when our flesh wants something else. It means we choose him when our emotions, when our emotions try to pull us away. And our emotions are strong. But we resist them for Jesus, church. But somehow God's people have lost sight of that. 
Somehow we fell in out of love with the one who first showed us how to love by his blood shed on the cross. By his blood shed on the cross. How can we walk away from that? How can we walk away from that? That's like my lovely wife have loved me all these years. Has helped build me up to the man I am today with her truly, truly unconditional love. And now that I'm in a position, after she has filled me up with her love, I say, that's it. I'm done. I'm good. You have built me up enough with your love. I don't need your love anymore. Yes. It's like a, any romantic relationship. In the beginning, the fire is burning. Hot. Hot. And then you let the world get in the way of what matters most. Then that love starts to simmer. Simmer. And it turns cold. Because we've lost sight of what matters most. That love in the beginning. That love that has to stay hot and passionate. That's what Jesus is trying to confront the church of Ephesus about in Revelations 2. Basically calling it the loveless church. The loveless church. Now, I don't think we have a problem with this here at Capital City Church. But I do think we all need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of what matters most. So we don't fall into the trap of the world by being a loveless church. Revelations 2.1. Jesus, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now this angel may be a pastor of a church or an angel looking into the workings of the church. But this letter is just not written for its representatives. It's written for the whole church. We must consider what is spoken to this angel as spoken to the whole church. And it is a state of the people under the angel's care as its congregation. We must note that this church of Ephesus was a famous church. That the apostle Paul ministered at this church that Timothy ministered at this church, and some say the apostle John also ministered at this church. So this church had great teaching, great teaching and great preaching.
preaching. And now Jesus describes himself to the church at Ephesus in these images. These images were the same images John used in Revelation 1. They emphasize the authority of Jesus in the church. It says he holds the seven stars in his right hand, which is the seven angels of the church. And now it shows his presence, his presence within the church. It says he walks in the midst, in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, which is the seven churches. His presence hovers over the churches. His presence, church. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, and we must recognize that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Amen? Verse 2, Jesus continues. He says to the church of Ephesus, I know your works. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. But Jesus starts with, I know your works, church. Jesus looked at his church and he knew its condition. He knew his condition. It's his church. It's his church. He knew the true identity of his church. It was no mystery to Jesus. He knows the condition of things not seen. He knows. He knows the inner condition of his church. Of his church. He knows that there may be hidden sin within his churches. He knows that there may be even corruption within his churches because it isn't hidden from Jesus. Nothing is hidden from Jesus. Jesus would say the same to us today if he was here as an individual and as a congregation. I know your works, he would say. I know your works. But Jesus also commended the church of Ephesus. He also commended the church of Ephesus. He says, I know your labor. I know your labor. I know your hard work, he says. I know your commitment to me. He knew their patience, their steadfast endurance. He knew that the church of Ephesus was solid as a rock. He knew they were solid. Solid. Jesus knew that they would not entertain evil of any kind within their church. From any of their congregation or any of their members. He knew that they wouldn't even, 
they wouldn't even accept false doctrine from their own pastors. They were silent. They were silent. It showed, church, that the church of Ephesus had a backbone of truth. A backbone of truth. As we so pray for today within our church and the churches worldwide, that we all have a backbone of truth. A backbone of truth. Verse 3. And he continues and he says, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. The church of Ephesus has Jesus smiling right now. Smiling, proud, because they continue to do the good works. They continue to do the good works without becoming weary. Without becoming weary. They showed the godly perseverance that every church should imitate, that we all should. This was a church that worked hard, that probably had some of the greatest outreaches. A church that protected the integrity of the gospel. So what could, more could Jesus want from this church? What more? He tells them. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you. Nevertheless means that all the good works that was done in, in the Ephesian church did not cancel out what Jesus is about to describe. All the good works, all the community outreach, everything. Jesus said that's great. Wonderful, but I have this against you. And he tells them, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That you have left your first love, church. Despite all the good in, in Ephesians church, there was something seriously wrong. There was something seriously wrong. They had left. They had left. They didn't lose it. They left their first love. They once had a love that they don't have anymore. They didn't lose it by accident. They left it. They left it. It was a deliberate act, a deliberate act to leave the love. But in, although they had left their first love, you couldn't tell it. You would not be able to tell it on the outside. You couldn't tell it. Everything was looked at great on the outside of this church. If you was probably a tea in this church, you probably say, this is what it's all about. This was a happening church. 
They did all the works. All the works. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew inside it was terrible. Jesus knew it was empty. Jesus knew it was cold, church. It was cold. Because no matter what they did, all the works that they did, without love, everything is in vain. Without love, everything is in vain. And that's why Jesus says, nevertheless, I have this against you. A church has no reason being a church if there's no love within its heart. A church has no reason being a church if the love has grown cold. If we lose love, church, we lose all. That's what Jesus means. If we lose love, we lose all, church. Goes back to the first and greatest commandment. And probably the second. Because did they lose, they, they leave their love for, for God? Did they leave their love for people? Probably both. Because they go hand in hand. Go hand in hand. You can't say you love God, but don't love the family of God. You can't really say you love God's family without loving him first. Without loving him first. So Jesus wasn't buying it. He knew. Jesus wasn't buying what they were selling. He wasn't. He knew. And so he says this. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else, he says, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. See, when we lose something, when we lose something, church, we don't know where to find it. But when we leave something, we know right where we left it, right? But the mercy of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord calls us back to those things that we so desperately need, even when we don't even realize it. The mercy of the Lord. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, where you have left your first love. Left. Like the romantic relationship between a man and a woman. That first love is passionate. It's passionate. And yet there's no passionate pursuit of a relationship 
with the Lord within this church. Their love has grown cold towards Jesus. Cold. He's telling the church at Ephesus to remember the love you have for your God. Remember their first love because he is willing to show them mercy. He is willing to show them mercy, church. Give them a chance to love him again. As long as we are living, we are being shown mercy. We are being shown mercy. He says, repent. Repent. Change your conduct. Change your attitude. Change your direction. Make that U-turn and come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. And he says, do the first works. Do the first works. Go back to the basics. Let's go back to the basics, church. To the basics. The very first things that we did when we fell in love with Jesus. These things are not beyond uh, us coming back to him. They are not. That mercy gives us an opportunity. Remember how we used to spend time reading his word. Remember how you used to spend time reading his word. Meditating on what you just read. Sitting and waiting to see if you hear that voice. Remember, church. Remember how you used to pray. Spend intimate time in prayer with God. That one-on-one time with God. Remember. Remember how excited you was to know about Jesus. Remember how excited you was to tell everybody about Jesus. He says, turn back to that. Turn back to that. That excitement of that first love, church. Remember the first works. And then he says, or else. Or else. I will come quickly, quickly, and remove your lampstand from its place. This is, he will put out the church's light. That his presence will no longer be in the church. Without love, Jesus removes his presence and the true identity of the church's heart will show. And he ends with this, unless you repent. Unless you repent. Church, if Jesus is anything, he must be everything. He must be everything. Jesus over everything. Let us pray. Father, we come to you right now, Father, and say thank you for your word, Father. 
Thank you for opening our eyes and opening our hearts to what you desire, God. Thank you for allowing the church, the Ephesian church, to be an example to Capital City Church, God. Thank you for the warning, God. The warning of not being a loveless church, God. Of putting Christ first, almighty God. God, I pray over us. God, I pray over every heart. That's not the sound of my voice, God. That we remove everything and anything and anyone, God, that is trying to take the place of our Lord Jesus Christ within our lives. Not to push him to the back, but to make him number one in our lives, almighty God. Father, we came today to give you worship, to give you praise, and to give you honor. Father, I pray that we have done you justice, God. Your words speak for itself. It speaks for itself. We must love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our souls. God, I pray that you continue to pour your love within us, God that we make Jesus first, Lord, over everything and everyone in our lives, because that is what you command from Christians. In Jesus' name, these altars open. Amen.